Angus at Work, a podcast for the profit-minded cattlemen. Brought to you by the Angus Beef Bulletin, we have news and information on health, nutrition, marketing, genetics, and management. So let's get to work, shall we? Hello, welcome to Angus at Work. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Casey Brown. I am joined today here in Houston, Texas. We're at the Cattle Industry Convention. Um, We attended the Cattlemen's College this morning. It's always a great program of education. And so one of the popular sessions today was about creatively stretching your grazing resources. And so I'm joined today um, by Rob Elder and Chad Woods. Um, Welcome, Thanks thanks for talking with me today. Um, if you could give us a little bit of your background in the beef industry. Chad Woods uh, from North Carolina. Uh, my wife and I uh, run a small beef operation uh, in central North Carolina. Uh, we've got about 25 cows, so a very small uh, operation, which is still kind of average for that area. Uh, we started that in 2014. Uh, we had a uh, family ran a dairy up until uh, 1997 when we sold out. So we had a few years there without cows and uh, got back into it. Um, uh, we both work off farm, uh, jo- all farm jobs, uh, and that was just a way to add some income uh, to the farm and kind of keep it, everything together and keep it going. So a little little background there. Awesome. You said this is an expensive hobby, right? It's it not a, really a hobby. It's not really a hobby. It's, it, a hobby shouldn't take that much work. Um, <laughs> and most of the time, hobbies uh, don't make you any money. Uh, and we started um, out of the dairy business into a small square bill hay business for the horse industry. A lot of horses around where we're from and so that was uh, kind of been our, uh, you know, the backbone of the farm for some time. And uh, with the, the, a lot of the local beef markets popping up, uh, we saw that there was an opportunity for us to start raising some beef cows and harvest those locally and sell it locally and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what we uh, got into. That seems to be the, a, a good little trend for us. Uh, we're able to stay small and uh, still it, it's a lot of fun and, 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 and enjoyable, uh, but not uh, too overwhelming. Mr. Elder, tell us about your operation. My name is Rob Elder. I grew up in the ranching industry. My brothers now own the ranch. Uh, so even though we've been ranching all the time, we're kind of first generation. Our kids, we have one daughter on the ranch now. Um, when we got married, I owned two cows and 13 horses, I think, or something. And how big are you now? Oh, we're at 1,150, a little over that, mother cows. We run all our yearlings on through. And you said you are cow-calf. You finish calves when the market says, right? We do different things depending on market conditions. We have typically finished cattle, our own cattle. We're not right now. Um, We're selling yearlings, but we have even sold calves at times, just depending on market conditions. well, talk me through what are the forages like on your operation during, let's say, just normal good years. And we know normal is, is relative, especially right now. But talk yeah. us through what's normal for you. So much of our operation is dependent upon public lands. BLM we use in the spring. We do summer some cattle on BLM, but primarily forest service grazing allotments. We have deeded land that we graze yearlings on. Most of it's irrigated, not all of it. Um, the forages vary. It's, it varies widely. And in the winter, that's when we have to feed for a while. What, uh, you said they vary, but what, what types of grasses are pretty normal for your area? Um, they're native grasses, blue bunch wheat grass. Um, there's some uh, needle grass, Idaho fescue. They're the primary grasses up on the BLM grass, BLM ground. 
Forest Service. There will even be some Timothy, but most of it's pine, uh, let me see, it's squirrel tail. There is a vast variety on those Forest Service allotments. But they're they're all native grasses. Excellent. And uh, Chad, tell, tell us about the forages that are available to you, let's say, in a normal year. So normally, uh, the main forages for us is fescue. Uh, we're on that eastern edge of the fescue bill. Um, so we utilize that uh, year-round. It uh, kind of goes dormant on us during that hot, dry spell, July and August. Uh, we get a lot of crabgrass uh, coming through about that time of year, um, but we still uh, use those uh, that fescue base a lot. Even we graze that all winter, um, so that kind of helps us offset some of the hay cost of feeding through the winter and that kind of stuff. Uh, we use a lot of annuals, uh, kind of filling those gaps. So summer annuals, millet, sorghum, Sudan, um, teff. Wintertime, uh, we also use uh, you know those winter annuals. Uh, um, Wheat, oats, uh, we've used uh, radishes, triticale, just about anything you can think of. And, and really, it's it, uh, it's all dependent on what the cost of it is that year. Because some years, you know, it's seeds so expensive, but you can kind of switch up what you're doing and, and save some money, but you still get the to get the grazing. But uh, that, that fescue base is where, I mean, that's our bread and butter, really. And you talked about you... Um invested the time and the and the money for novel and defiant fescue can you talk to how that has um, benefited your operation sure uh so most of the fescue in the fescue belt is kentucky 31 uh it's what a lot of people consider a hot fescue uh it's got that um fungus uh that is it really does not help cattle out a lot uh it affects their body temperature is what it does and circulation is uh i guess that um get that the name of that is um alkaloid alkaloid yeah yeah so it's uh yeah i'm probably get, about to get out of my wheelhouse on that but uh but that fungus is it, it it's uh it's not necessarily a good thing for the animals it's great for the plant because it makes it really hardy you can graze that stuff in the ground and get a little moisture back you know and it, it, it comes back um the problem is is that it does raise the body temperature of the cows so you see them in the ponds and the creeks you know, trying to stay cool. Uh, it helps or it does not help with uh, reproduction. Um, it does not help with weight gain. Uh, it just, it's really detrimental. I know they put a, a figure of, of the billions, what the Southeast loses every year to, to fescue. So be, being that we had the horse background, we used to raise orchard grass for a lot of our customers because they needed something that was safe for mares. So, uh, and they, the same effects for mares as, you know, from that fescue, uh, so they have the same problem. So uh, we couldn't get that to grow, so we've switched over to that novel endophyte and, and gave that a shot. And that has really changed our operation altogether. So in our area, most everybody, uh, fall calves, September, October, turn the bull in December and January during those cold months uh, so they can get their cows bred. And we're doing the opposite of that. So we're calving in, in April and May and turning the bull in in July, and everybody's wondering how the heck we're doing it. And that's the only thing that I can blame it on is that novel endophyte. Those cows are out grazing every day. They're cool. Uh, they're breeding back good. The calves are doing well. Um, so it's just you know, we're small enough, too, that we can make those changes. And, you know, if, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, we could back up and kind of reset the whole operation. But um it just with my wife working in extension, she sees a lot of that information kind of coming down the pipe early and we're able to implement some of those things and uh, kind of get that ball rolling. But yeah, it's that novel endophyte has certainly helped our operation. Um, I mean, it's 
really given us a lot of options and uh, it certainly has helped us out. Rob, you mentioned um, reproduction and fertility are kind of your, your highest selection criteria, right? Can you talk to, to us through about that? Well, the reproductive traits uh, are double the importance of a growth trait. Growth traits and double the importance of a carcass trait. Don't have a live calf, you don't have anything. Um, so we select for heavily, and but it's natural selection pretty much. We just let nature pretty much do it. Although we are selecting bulls that are um, really high in those, those traits. Um, not that we don't want an animal to grow, but that's secondary to reproductive traits for us. And you mentioned that you do have to use some alternative forages sometimes. Um, can you talk to that? And then you mentioned how a lot of times that doesn't affect your reproduction. Um, what kind of alternative forages do you use on your operation? Primarily right now it's corn stalks. We have used, um, we've used some teff grass straw. We've used wheat straw, barley straw, grass seed straw. Um, we even looked at some baled bean stalks, but there was too much dirt baled up with it and would have, the transportation cost went up. That does affect reproduction, but we're letting that happen pretty much on purpose to wash the cows out that won't make it long-term. But that handles the depreciation on those cows. After they're six years old, market value drops like a rock. So we're trying to market the six, the cows that are older than six as butcher cows in the spring. And anything else we rebreed and sell the next winter. Talk to me about how you've sourced some of these other types of straws or hays. Do you grow them? Do you, um, do you find them? And what kind of considerations go through your head of what makes this a good investment? Uh, well, that's a good question. How have we found it? I guess we've just, I got on the phone and started calling people. Um, what is the primarily, I, that's really it. Um, and we've built a, a resource uh, of different people. We know some of the, the farmers that we're buying it from. They don't have something, they can put us in touch with their other thing. But one of our primary sources has been a guy that does some hay and, and trucking, a lot of trucking. And he's around everybody and that's one of our primary resources. Um, everybody talks about networking, that has been valuable. To us, um, how do we determine whether it's a good deal or not? Um, will it keep a cow alive? That's basically it, and do it cheap. Um, that's primarily what I look at. Um, it's not high class. They, you know, some of the other um, in people doing the, the the courses we're talking about, uh, they eat less because the quality's poor. Yes, they do. They do. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's the way we're doing it because of cost. Right. Eating less is still better than eating nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would just soon have a cow that can look at the neighbor's haystack and stay fat. Just look at it. That would be the dream. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you shared some great numbers of how you kind of pencil out how um, a cost per cow per day. Can you share some of that, those thoughts with us? Okay. Well, we try to always run our costs. We want to know where we're at on everything. So this was for the 2021 year. We haven't gone through this year yet. We, we do have a budget, we're following it. Um, some of those costs are gonna vary a little this year and we may have to look at things. Primarily divided, um, our corn stalks are delivered 
at $80 a ton. It's $60 to purchase it and 20 to get it delivered. So it's $80 delivered. You divide the 80 by 2,000, because there's 2,000 pounds in a ton, that comes to four cents per pound. We feed about 25 pounds per head per day. That's probably a little extra, but we let the waste go into the soil. That comes to, let me see my numbers here, 75 cents a day. The alfalfa, we feed about five pounds. That we got delivered last year for $140 per ton. It, it was just good alfalfa. We didn't have it tested or anything. Um, you divide that by 2,000 pounds, that's seven cents per pound. To multiply that by five pounds, that's 35 cents per day. We do some fuel and the wear and tear, oil, et cetera, on our, on our vehicle to do that with. It's just a pickup with a pulling a flatbed trailer primarily. We don't, we fill it up about once a week. That comes to about a hundred dollars. Um, it's usually not a complete fuel. We don't completely fuel the tank up every time. So it's either three quarters, seven eighths of the tank each time, each fill up. That comes to $14 and 28 cents per day. We divide that, or yeah, that, that gets us per day. We divide that, we run about 1,150 cows. That gets us to one cent. We don't, I didn't include any of the cost of the vehicle and trailer. They, they, there should be some cost put on that. We use both year round, so the cost would be spread over the whole year. Um, but I didn't include it. But I did include labor. All our, everybody's salaried on our, our place. And so you can say, well, that's, you got that cost anyway, but we could be doing other things that we'd be doing it. So I just figured for purposes of this, even though our employees get different salaries, I just use $3,000 a month. Three people, that's 9,000 divided by 30 days in a month. That's $300 per day. It takes about half a day to do that. So that's 150 days, dollars per day. We divide that by 1,150 cows. We're running other, but that's the, that's the main cow herd. That's 13 cents per day. You add all that up, we're at $1.49 daily cost per head per day per cow. That's great. So since you've crunched the numbers, I mean, math is, is important in running a business, right? Yes. When you have to find alternative forages or, or supplementation, um, do you compare it to this or is it just what can I get that will feed my cows and is the best deal I can get? A little of both. It, I primarily compare it to this, yes, the other feed sources, but I am aware, like this year I could have bought wheat straw just a touch cheaper, but it won't come as close to the corn stalks. And then we're also looking at what we're putting back into our soil where those cattle are fed and the corn stalks will put more back in the soil. Excellent, so there's, there's extra benefit from yes. this. Um, uh, Chad, will you talk to us about, you talked about a really cool opportunity for alternative feeds um, with your operation. Can you tell us about that? I loved the the rivalry uh, situation you told us oh, about. Oh, with the Duke and Carolina basketball, yeah. So um, the area that we're in, it's, uh, we're right next door to that big uh, college basketball rivalry of uh, Duke and Carolina. Um, uh, so and just for anybody to know, I'm not a Carolina fan, so that kind of narrows it down. Um, but uh, so there, you know, we're in a, a, a large populated area, and uh, a lot of those folks like to drink 
craft beer. So we have the opportunity to get that spent brewer's grain from those breweries uh, as a byproduct that they have to get rid of. So it's either going into the landfill or it's, uh, you know, some people utilize it for um, other types of feeds, chicken feeds, or, you know, I've seen people bake it into dog biscuits and that kind of stuff, but obviously on a small scale, but uh, with our cattle, we can use quite a bit of that. Um, so we work with three different breweries uh, that are close by where I work. Um, so we're able to transport that feed home pretty cheap. Um, so it's just basically I pick it up while I'm in town, bring it back. If I, you know, occasionally I have to make a special trip, but I try not to, and that keeps that feed cost down. Um, but yeah, we're able to utilize that spent brewer's grain. Uh, it's really high in protein. Uh, it's, it's got a good uh, energy levels to it. Uh, it does have a lot of water in it because it is still wet. It's about 70% water. So if you kind of crunch the numbers, uh, you know, out of a, a, you know, a ton of feed, you've only got about 300 pounds of dry matter out of that. So, uh, but they still do good on it. Uh, it just, um, it's labor intensive sometimes to handle that heavy grain. We're talking about that's kind of our workout program. <laughs> Uh, but our, our fat cattle are the ones that get most of that. We feed a little bit of that to our cows, you know, just if it'll go bad, you know, in the summertime. So storage can be an issue. Um, so we'll try to feed it up before it goes bad. But yeah, that's, uh, that's been kind of a, a niche market for us, um, close by. And that's something that's available to a lot of producers around, you know, that's, um, and maybe they can't get enough. I know Rob would probably have trouble getting enough brewer's grain, uh, in to feed his cows at that price, but somebody small like me could do that, you know, with a pickup truck. So it's just, you know, some opportunities out there for somebody to be able to do that. And there's a lot of other feedstuffs in our area that's available that just seems to work good for us. You know, we're in an area where there's a lot of cotton and peanuts and that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of byproduct from that that we could buy. Uh, but that brewer's grain just seems to work pretty pretty well for us. It keeps it out of the landfill. Uh, we also have a beef business and some of those breweries have restaurants. So we're able to kind of do the whole full circle deal you know so we get the grain feed it to the cows and take it back to them in packages of beef so it all all kind of works out now uh, forgive me for an elementary question but can you guys walk me through the timeline of your year of forages like when when do you usually graze when do you usually supplement when do you start planting your annuals talk me through kind of your forage plan for the year in like a big picture Sure. Picture um, I'll start out, Rob, if you don't care. Um, so we start out, if, if we were going to start out, where do you want us to start? What month do you want us to start? Uh, uh, we're in, we just turned into February. Let's start at the beginning of the year and we'll just do All right, calendar. So year. in January, we are wide open grazing fescue that we've stockpiled from back in the fall. Uh, we take our cattle off of that so it can, you know, uh, can get some growth on it. So uh, we usually run that up until late March, and then we're going to turn them on some winter annuals for a short while there. Um, that winter annuals are being grazed. The fescue is is growing back. Um, so we're going to graze that fescue up until May or June, uh, and then hopefully we've got if we're getting some rain. That's our that's the biggest thing is rainfall. Uh, we'll get those summer annuals planted and we're grazing summer annuals, you know, during that time that we've got that kind of forward slump with the fescue when it's not really growing. Uh, that's probably its biggest downfall is it does not do well in hot weather. It doesn't grow very good at all. Uh, and then coming into the fall, we actually feed most of our hay in the fall, which is something that... Um, a lot of the folks that are stockpiling fescue have figured out if we can get some winter annuals planted early enough and we do have adequate rainfall oats or something like that we can graze but if not we'll supplement hay in that september october range it's dry typically in our neck of the woods is dry so we're feeding hay and not having to use a four-wheel drive tractor every day not in the mud so that helps out a lot uh, and then during that time that fescue is growing so we're stockpiling that fescue 
Uh, if we do have adequate rainfall and fertilizer prices are reasonable, which they're not now, um, you know, we'll apply, you know, some nitrogen, maybe 30 to 50 units of nitrogen on that fescue, kind of give it a little bump. Uh, and we try to get a, as much growth as we can and hold that back. And around December the 1st, we start strip grazing that fescue. Uh, and what that does too is it, um, is it allows us to really utilize every bit of that fescue. They don't spot graze. Uh, they're not all over the place. It distributes that manure and that urine. Um, and so we can allot them so many days of grazing. If we're, you know, if I'm at home every day, I can move them every day. If I'm not, I can give them a week's worth of grass or whatever we need to do. Uh, and you can see that in those areas too. Like the next spring, if you've had to make that jump from a, a one-day rotation to a one-week rotation, you'll see the extra growth in that area. Um, so it, it's kind of neat to be able to do that, and that's kind of offsetting some of those fertilizer costs. You know, one of our big things is uh, throughout. What, no matter what we're doing, we're trying to build that soil health. Mm-hmm. We're trying to cut out the fertilizer prices. Our two biggest expenses are fertilizer and winter feeding. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, we, we've cut back a lot of our winter feeding costs. Now we're trying to cut back the fertilizer costs. And then with the fertilizer like it is now, it's going to be interesting to see how this trend is going to go. But it's uh, we're going to probably have a lot of ground that doesn't get any fertilizer this year. And we're going to hope and pray that the soil health kicks in like the research says it, it will. And we're hopefully we can just grow some grass without it. I'll start out about April 1st, if that's okay. Yeah. That's our cows have just barely started calving and they go out to grass on BLM allotments. They'll spend April and May, well, the bulk of them will. Some, the young cows will already, first of May, head to mountains on deeded ground there and they'll finish calving there. Um, in first of June, we sort cattle the bulk of them go to a forest allotment in the mountains the later cabin cows summer and kind of fall cabin cows will stay on a different blm allotment through the summer those cows that go on most of the forest allotments will be gathered in um, october and come into deeded ground and graze for a month and a half the BLM cows will come in about the 1st of November and they'll graze for about a month. Roughly, we try to extend it as long as we can, but by no, by the 15th, 10th, 15th of December, we've got to start feeding them some hay, which is these corn stalks, roughly four months of that in December, January, February, and March. And are those their primary source of feed or are you also supplementing with, with cake or anything else? Or No. Nope, that the little bit of alfalfa and the corn stalks right now. That's what they're getting. Are there any tips that you would give somebody who's just at their wits end of, I'm running out of pasture, what should I do? Um, you mentioned networking. That yes. You could probably say that's your tip. But is there anything else that you'd recommend to somebody who's trying to figure out what can I do to keep my cows? Know your numbers. Know your numbers and, and network. That's That's really what it boils down to. Perfect. Jen. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Knowing the capacity of your of your of your land, I mean, you know, it's just and during those drought conditions, you know, know it for the good years and the bad. And if you see that bad year coming on, go ahead and prep for that. I mean, you know, just there's there's no worse feeling than, than having cattle that you can't get feed to. So you know, you just it's it's a lot of planning, a lot of forethought about that. But um, yeah, just just knowing what what your land can produce. Um, I'm sure Rob probably the same way. If you get you know, extra rainfall in the, in the summertime, you know, you could probably leave them on, 
you know, a pasture for a certain, you know, maybe a little longer or something like that. But just really knowing that um, that stock and density, I guess, is the correct term for that. But just just knowing that is, is going to pay dividends in the long run. Excellent, gentlemen. I appreciate your time. We're As we wrap up, I like to end with some good news because we all know the cattle business is really a people business. Can you guys tell me something good that's happened either personally or professionally? We'll, we'll end this on a good note. Our business is expanding. It's actually pretty healthy, everything considered. And our granddaughter's walking, so that's great. All right. So, uh, yeah, it's, I'm kind of like uh, Rob. It's, uh, our business is doing good. Even though we're small, we're expanding, uh, able to keep that family farm together. Uh, and uh, one of the great things, too, is we've got these guys out of, um, out of Idaho and um, Oregon to come down here to Texas. And I think this is the first time y'all have been to the NCBA conference, right? So I think that's kind of cool. So that's um, got to meet a lot of new people down here as always and do that networking deal that we always do. And, um, but yeah, it's, everything's good. And things, things could be worse. You know, it's uh, family is safe and healthy and that's all we can hope for. Okay, well, that, those are perfect answers. Thank you again so much for your insight. Listeners, to get more information to help make Angus work for you, check out the resources to our print Angus Beef Bulletin and digital Angus Beef Bulletin Extra in our show notes. We want to hear from you. Let us know your ideas and comments at abbeditorial at angus.org. And be sure to rate this podcast and share this episode with any other profit-minded cattlemen. Thanks for listening to Angus at Work.